0: people over paper (laughs) episode four you know what it is it's been a few weeks since we first came on at the top of the year i've been sick so uh i'm happy to be on with you guys today today we'll be talking about supply and demand and uh
1: sprinkle of black history month
0: a sprinkle of black history month yes and um Caleb buying a house
1: gentrification housing all right let's get, get into it on. Come on, man. Good intro right there. Hey, C- CK, are y'all doing anything with uh, Through Soul this month for like Black History?
2: Last year, Black History Month, we did a speaker series. We had like five different speakers, one judge, uh, Dr. Henderson from OU. Everybody that went to OU did athletics did, uh, knows who Dr. Henderson is. He's a legend. Uh, who else do we have up there? We had Jabi. Or JB, I think it's JB though, the singer artist from OKC, real big in activism and uh, speaking for the culture. But uh, we usually do a soul food cookout in February. I remember that
1: yeah. was with Off the Hook, wasn't it?
2: Yep, with Off the Hook and a couple mm. other vendors too. So yeah, so we get into the black culture, and there's a lot of uh, African American athletes on the team and at OU. And so it's good for them to get a little moment to uh, just remember the people that came before them. And then our big unity jerseys that we all had our hand in shooting right. unity jerseys represent Prentice Gott and the, the first African-American scholarship football athlete at the university of Oklahoma. And so getting those jerseys out and me finishing the mission while y'all went on and did your things, uh, getting that done, man, that's, that's a good thing to reflect on too, but black history month. It's a, it's a, Funny and annoying at the same time that it's the shortest month of the year, but uh, we'll take whatever we can get, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> of, of course, of course, they gave us the shortest month of the year.
2: <laughs> Look at you looking like with uh, Maddie and Keelan in the background, looking like you, I know uh, the big uncle.
0: <laughs> I forgot that was behind me. They get free promo. Hey, I'm still every time I see um. Josie, I'm like, bro, like, can I get the jersey that I helped design, please?
2: Like, I talked to Josie. I talked to Witt. They, they have them. I'm like, why are, you, why are you holding on to it? <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm like, here every day. Give me the jersey.
1: At least you took I'm a like, photo shoot really? Right
2: there. It's going to be right in the front, right here. Just back. Now,
1: <clears> I need the photo shoot. I mean, I need the jersey and the helmet.
2: And the helmet going to run you $500. Yeah, I
1: ain't going to cap. That helmet going to run
0: yeah,
2: you $500. And we know Mister McKenzie over there. He ain't worried about five hundred though. <laughs> talking about, he just nah. bought a whole new uh, appliances and he got a brand new couch, furniture. And,
1: right, right, right. Same thing tools. you just did though. Yeah. yeah, you just got a house. Right, you. I, I'm. I got an apartment. You got a house. <laughs> I have Equal. a partner to help me out too, though. You know. Nah, that is true. I'm not doing I mean, it by myself. You bought a crib at what twenty twenty four? Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's my
2: birthday next month. That is So true, you know, but we're gonna stay in February. So what's up, man? Black History Month, Pat. Question for you: You got all the history and the knowledge in the head, and you know, you, Mister Tulsa. You big on Tulsa race massacre, Tulsa race uh, riots, and all the knowledge you've done back back there. So talk about what you've done in Tulsa to represent your black culture?
1: Um, shucks, I think the biggest thing I did was first, you know, starting with learning from the Tulsa Race ma- Tulsa race Massacre, like what made <clears throat> the city of Tulsa so successful. And, you know, you see a group of people who are highly educated, um, not just in, you know, formal education, but trades, welding, plumbing, so forth and so on. Um, and then you've seen, like, strong like the church was very big in the black culture at that time. So that's where people were getting their morality, their ethics, and everything that they were coming from. So basically, you know, I started out with studying that and then getting into doing a lot of stuff centered around education. I did like a little back-to-school bash, you know, gave away a couple iPads to some kids and at an inner-city elementary school. You know, gave some gift cards away so, you know, kids could get school clothes. And then like last year, did like a big event. Uh, around Juneteenth that, you know, me and my me and my uh, my partner in Atlanta, Wolf, we were able to raise $50,000 um, just to – and we were able to, you know, bring somebody in from Langston, the HBCU, to kind of educate people on what it looks like applying for colleges as well as, like, the financial resources that you have. Because a lot of times, you know, people look at finances as a, as a barrier, but it's like, you know, if you have a 3.2 GPA, 3.5 GPA, you know, at Langston – there's enough scholarships to go around to, to day near get you a full, full ride. Mm-hmm. So then it's like, you know, just with people having that information, you can go to college, get a degree. Um, so did like a lot of stuff around that financial literacy seminar, and then just, you know, coming back to the crib, showing love, doing, we did like a little community kickball game. Um, and then we did other things trying to, you know, support health and wellness, you know, talking about mental health, yoga, um, how to eat properly, dieting. So really just trying to go all in on like the educational side of things. And then, cause I think sometimes we, as black people, I think lately we, we've talked a lot about the stuff that we've can't, that we had to go through, um, like the oppression. And sometimes I think we can, we can complement it with talking about what made us so successful and how to recreate those things in our communities and just, you know, being more positive and optimistic about things like there is a reality of, you know, the systems that it is that we go through. But I think we can focus more on the light as opposed to the darkness. And I think that's kind of, you know, what, what we're trying to do. Talk about the light. We know that the darkness exists not to act like it isn't there, but just, you know, try to bring positivity. And I think the same way. All of us was trained to show up to football with a even though we was gonna get our butt whooped with the workout smile on our face, you know what I mean, just ready to attack the day. So definitely that makes sense.
0: Jay, I, I admire you,
1: be you being able to go either. back.
2: What were
0: you saying? Oh, I was just gonna talk about Pat and um the work that he does going back to his school. Like I, I admire that so much because I always wanted something like that for my school, for my high school. But I'm so far away, so I never like took the time to to think it through or to even try. Cause I'm like, well, I'm all the way out here, so mm, I don't know. So when I see Pat talk about his stuff and and the success that he's that he's had, um, visiting his school and, and things like that, I admire that.
2: I just look at the. Uh, I, appreciate it. I remember when Pat first uh, thought of it. He came up to me in the locker room. And was like, man, I want to do something like to give back to the community back home and I want to give a scholarship and I want to do like a little backpack thing and then seeing it come to fruition with all the different NFL players and all the different college players from Tulsa coming back and being there to uh, support your your cause and support your vision to make it all come to life man is it is powerful cuz it's like we always talk about you create a vision you set a goal you find that process and those steps to get to that goal and you make it happen. And as a young man, Pat did that and did it for something that wasn't just about him. Like we talk about Mm -hmm. God too. We talk about how we are here to serve. Like it wasn't for Pat's name. Like it was to go get back to the young Pat before Pat was ever Patrick Fields. Like that little kid that, Wanted to play football at OU one day or wanted to go to the league or wanted to make a lot of money or make his situation better. And so, yeah, I admire the hell out of you for that, bro, because I remember we were sitting there in the locker room, walked by you, said, bro, I want to come do this. And I was like, go do it. Like, you've got the resources, Man. you've got the people. Next thing you know, you start hitting people up and boom, boom, things just fall into place and God just
1: kind of guides it. So, yeah, big kudos to you on that.
0: How did you go about the scholarship?
1: Man, so so right now, I I got pushed back on that because I whenever I went out to Stanford, because what I'm trying to do is set up an endowment that way. Yeah. it's a, a long term thing because mm-hmm. I could give away, you know, raise money and give away twenty five thousand, you know, in a year, but it's like you have to keep on raising that twenty five thousand yeah. as opposed to the endowment. It'll work for you and it'll be indefinite. So working on that. Last year I got um because I went out to Stanford. I just wasn't physically in Oklahoma. So you have to like go through all the compliance processes of it. You got to get it approved, all the legal paperwork and all that stuff. So I'm hoping to get that up and going. Um and then you have to launch it, fundraise and all that stuff. So I'm hoping to get that up and going this year, but um yeah, cuz the, the biggest thing is I want to create something that's long-term and I think yeah. That's long-term change and and create a system of change. That way you know, it's indefinite, and it's not just short term or or in the immediate future. Mm-hmm.
0: The way I, I've always wanted to do something similar, but much like you, it has to be long term. Like I right. remember thinking, I was like, "Oh, I could do a scholarship now. Like I I can just go get five hundred dollars." But then you have to do that every single year, you know. And eventually, I want to turn five hundred into five grand, five grand into fifty. And the way I thought about it personally was just to play a long term game was to run something through my future fund. So that way, I could fundraise, raise money through my fund for the school, and then just use my fund to continuously give back to the school. So that way, it's a tax right off on of me. That's smart, but then I'm also giving back to the school. So that's how, like, I envisioned it. Like, I wrote it down on paper. I was like, "This is what I want to do one day."
1: Man, that's really smart. And I think us um, a, a lot of a lot of people from like lower income communities, we we. we may not be as privy on like the opportunities that exist out there, such as like the investment fund that you can put towards your child's education. So you get taxed on the principal money that goes into it, but you don't get taxed on any of the gains. So if you right. put 10,000 in that, you know, the compound interest reaches, uh, you know, 120 or whatever the case is in the 18 years, you don't get taxed on any of those gains. And just something as simple as that, um, even if you just do the math, you know, contributing $250 to it a month, or you can go smaller or bigger, by the time your child turns 18, you have all their education paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just a lot of that stuff, you know, we got to have the information to and the access to. Um, so, I, and that's along the lines of what we're talking about. But that's something, you know, I'm, I'm getting big into right now, trying to set that up for. My cousin, um, she's in fifth grade. And so by the time she's 18, she has, you know, money to go to school. And then the dope thing about it as well is, should you have a child who says, like, I don't want to go to education route. I want to go into a trade or whatever else. That money now rolls over into a Roth IRA for them. Um, And that's just a new. Yeah, that's a new uh, policy that I believe was passed this January of this year. So either way if they don't use it for education they're going to be starting substantially ahead in life with already having a Roth IRA for them at 18 that's going to compound over you know their their working career so mm-hmm.
0: that's a federal policy like nationally
1: yeah 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 it just uh just went in, into place at, like January so mm-hmm. co- not even not even a full month ago you hear that papa and, kelly
2: and so you're saying like your money saved up for college, like a college fund account like that. Mm -hmm. So like my granddad has a a college fund account for me that I ain't tapped into. I could just
1: turn it into a Roth IRA. Yeah. I believe I got to look at, uh, that that's, that's the way I'm going to go do that next week. (laughs) I ain't touch that money.
2: Like, hold on.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You can just roll it over into, into a Roth IRA. That that's the way I read it. Um, it may be like some other qualifications, like, Mm -hmm you have to be this age or do it within this window of time or whatever the case is, but it just went into place, um, this January. So mm-hmm. that's cool. That's or I just more. read about it this January. I
2: remember some, yeah, I remember reading about it and then mm-hmm. the limit went up to like 65, that hundred a month, like 6,500 as opposed
1: to 6,000. Like you could put more in them, uh, per year. Yeah. 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 Cause, um, Man, like, just uh, it, it's you. You learn it, but um, a, a lot of people talk about compound interest, but like, whenever you look at the calculator on it, and like how simple it is, and like, I think a lot of times we say stuff is simple, which in thought it is simple, but it's hard to do in practice because it takes a lot of discipline. Yeah, mm-hmm. but just putting that money back or whatever the case is, like it, it does a dramatic effect for you. I was reading something in a book um, this week, it was called The Richest Man in Babylon. Yeah. And he was saying, you know, every, yeah, you read it too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. First, when I so,
0: started reading, like that was one of the first ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That's a really good book because, you know, you, I don't know if you remember, but he was talking about people's necessary expenses. And mm-hmm. what you find is people's necessary expenses always increase with their income unless you fight that, the ha- the, mm-hmm. the nudge of it. Yeah. So meaning the more people make, they just have lifestyle inflation. Now they start buying, you know, nicer brand products or whatever the case is. And their necessary expenses keep on going as opposed to being continuing to be frugal and, you know, investing that money, putting that money back in the savings and then letting it work for you. And then that was something dope that I thought. And then he him talking about making, you know, money, <clears throat> money, your slave. I think yeah. that's an interesting way to think about it. You know, look at money as your slave, um, as opposed to us being a slave to money, which is, I think, how a lot of us think.
2: No, yeah, I applied that rule. The 70 because it's seventy twenty ten in there. They do 70%, 20%, 10%. A lot of people do the 50, 30, uh, 20% rule and having this big old house payment every month and because salary is only 80K for me. So after taxes, it's 5K a month. It's all state, everybody knows it. So um, it's all public, I mean, but uh, so every month you divvy up 70% is 3,500, but then, uh, my uh mortgage is twenty two hundred, so then you have to you have to live off the rest of it, and you're supposed to put up twenty percent so twenty percent is what a thousand and so if I put a thousand up, then I only got five hundred to spend on, and I ain't living like to it right now, like it's hard to do that just because five thousand you think it's a lot when. I was living off of 1,500 being a student athlete. Yeah. But then you add on a fiance and a kid and a house payment, like opposed to rent because my rent was 450. Like it's okay. like, dang. And then on top of that, 500 and bills, it's just like my expenses that are actually necessities. Like I'm literally at 2,700 of house and utilities like that. And so putting up, a, a thousand a month to pay off debts or to put into your savings. Like right now I'm only putting up the 500. I switched it. I put 70, uh, 10, and then the extra expense is my 20. And so I'm only putting up 500 a month right now, which I'm trying to work back down, but exactly what it says in the book, like happened to me, like boom, buy a house right away. Like you make more money, boom, buy a house. Now, what you are used to paying is 400 a month. Now it's 2,100 or 2,200 a month. And so it, it works exactly like that. And there's different ways. And speaking of housing and I'm not, and the guru on it, but living in it too, I would much rather have gone. And I told my fiance this too. I would much rather have gone and bought a duplex, lived at one side and had the other per- yeah. person rent out the other side. And so if you haven't bought a house, definitely recommend that for your first house. Cause then after two years, like, we'll either go buy another house just for rent, or we're going to just rent this house out and then have them pay for it. And so where our goal is to continue to buy housing, continue to buy land, buy real estate, buy equity and, uh, units. But if I, I was to do it over again, I would do that duplex and to follow to actually, and I'm trying to get back to it, but it's hard once you beat it. Like once you, you don't follow the rule of the 70, 20, 10, it's hard to get back into it. And so while you're starting it, while you're first making different kind of money to continue to live the same way you are and act like you're not making any extra money that can take you so far and something yeah. that already I wish I would have done. And I love my house. I love the opportunity, but it's hard to change back to the old ways when you're living a
0: different lifestyle. I
1: remember, remember? I think to that point though, oh, my fault. i let you go. J-Haw.
0: I was going to say, I remember when I first got to college, and um i was like trying to get into money and, and you know robin hood cash app had just started with stocks and everything mm-hmm. and robin hood had just came out and all that type of stuff and i remember acorns came out and i was mm-hmm. like man i don't really have much to contribute to this i think this was back when we was getting paid like what 500 a month and then like the mm-hmm. weekend checks or something like that yeah. and bro like I, I just started with like i don't know a few cents like 10 dollars a week and then i was like you know, what, let me put a little bit more. Like I saw the S and P go up, and I was like, "Oh, I made like I don't know ten, $10 20 dollars or whatever." And I was like, "Let me add a little bit more." And then ten dollars a week turned into twenty five, and then I was like, "Yeah, I'm adding a little bit more." So then twenty five turned into a hundred, and then we uh we started the master's program, you know. And then you know once you mm-hmm. start your masters, you get paid like what, what was it like twenty one or eighteen hundred a month or something like that?
2: Eighteen, not twenty
0: one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I wish it was 21. But I say that I, I say that to say, bro. Over just from my college checks, bro, and just like extra money that I ended like bowl money we got, bro. Like I ended up saving like nine to ten k over mm-hmm. what four four years, I think four years. Yeah, like ten ten k, and it was all in an investment account, and I still I'm, I I haven't touched it. Like it's it's just sitting there, yeah. and. I I look back I look at it that now now I'm like you know I'm unemployed I'm I'm living with somebody else but I still have it just in case I ever want to go get an apartment grab a job something like that and I'm just yeah. like man like you know now imagine doing that on a bigger scale right you
2: know but if you and were I'm, instead of putting that 100 you put that that rack in there 1000 yeah. 10k like
0: man yeah so that's my I say all that to say like that's my like it 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 started off super small for me and like to not do it anymore is just it kind of bothers me because I don't really have like a, a consistent source of income right now. But like, mm-hmm. don't stop. I say all that to say don't stop. Like, it, it, it's it's a real thing,
1: you know. Even when you start small, Pat, what were you
0: gonna say though?
1: Um, I was gonna say CK to your point with uh buying like a crib instead of a duplex. Like the the house you bought is probably going to appraise more in value than like a duplex is. Like a duplex may be more affordable, um, and you may be able to cash flow off of it. But like the property value of your house may appraise significantly more than like your duplex. So it's kind of just like a double edged sword. Like it's like right. trade offs. Like you can't
2: really lose, but if but like to come straight out. One is more affordable, like you said. Yeah, true, true. And so that's why it's like I jumped in it, which is, shoot, that's how a lot of people become successful. They just jump in, jump in the deep right. end and make it work. And we're making it work. Like, I'm not hurting. Like, I still can get a couple things for myself every month. But if I was to look back and be like, what probably would have been more affordable, like you're saying, would be to do the other way then save up. For a couple years, and then do like the big house, like we're in the house that we could live in, and for like a decade if we wanted to. Like this isn't a small house at all. Like I'm, I have an office; I could turn it into a bedroom if we have another kid. Like that's that's just a reality. But coming straight out of it, if I like the smarter smartest way would be doing that duplex. So then you're saving your money, and everything's going into something you own as opposed to apartment. But the price that you're paying is not 2100 It's still like the price of an apartment because you got somebody else paying too.
0: So what I just heard is that we got a C. Kelly Jr. in the mix. No, sir. On sir. Okay, because because you said turn turn your office into a bit. You said that real smooth. I just got
2: this up. What you mean? Yeah, yeah I know. Hey, hey, oh, you, it's you. like the second podcast with this up. Like, hey, hey, look,
0: bro. All, all I'm saying <laughs> is that you said that real quick, so I'm like, oh, you must have thought about this one. No, sir. Uh,
2: I got personally. If I'm choosing, I got like four or five years before I get. A, I have another kid. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm not even getting married this year. I'm getting married next year, sometime. So. Yeah, you uh, know, trying to do some things right, some things in order.
0: Yeah. L- Larson must not be around. She's like, "What? No." Nah, <laughs> she she does she, is... she want to have another one though?
2: Yeah, eventually. Not no time soon. We on the okay. same page with that, dog. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. We let
2: way live his best life.
0: <laughs> yes, he's spoiled. Yeah.
2: That's
0: how it should be though.
2: Yeah. Let's go make them make them
0: happy, you know. Hey, I do I do got a question though since we're talking about real estate Black History Month. What what are what are our thoughts on on gentrification, right? And all the reason I ask is that it's it's a big thing right now like major cities, you think of like Dallas, uh New York has a housing crisis because like their rent is so high. Uh Charlotte where I'm from is like one of the top 5 fastest growing cities in the country. And um, what you see now is major companies, specifically um, private equity, um, big time firms, Pat, they're raising a whole bunch of money and just going in and just buying a stupid number of houses in a neighborhood in bulk. Right. And then they're all um, redoing them, um, building the equity in the houses and selling them for an outrageous number. And you see that going on in a lot of not just, you know, black neighborhoods, but just minority neighborhoods mm-hmm. in general. And, um, it's, it's, it's a great idea in terms of making money. Like it's not anything right. that we don't want to do or the individual, you know, what you just said, Caleb, in terms of buying more property, they're just doing it on a bigger scale. So wh- what do y'all scale. think about that? Cause people aren't able to afford the property taxes, you know, they're moving on out. And
1: I think, uh, I think to the, to the point of that, like right now, at like the housing market, the housing market is like super inflated. So I don't think like right now it's like the the greatest picture of what things are. Mm-hmm. And then like sometimes like uh like capitalism is a is a giant, but I think for the most part, free markets tend to create better prices for things. Hat letting them operate in a free market as opposed to being. Things being controlled and price regulated, because if you study like the economic history of affordable housing plans, what you tend to see is the affordable housing plans haven't turned out well in, in creating the affordable prices, they've actually done the opposite. In most in most studies that I've seen, at least to my knowledge, because what happens is whenever you you come in with rent control and you set prices at fixed amounts, then that isn't able to adjust for inflation, adjust for other things. And then, you know, you lower the profit margin of land on, of like the the uh, what it, landowners or what mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. landlords, landlords, my fault. And then you lower the profit of the landlords and then it's like people are less incentivized because they have less profit to build and construct new housing. Mm -hmm. So because the supply of housing is shorter, it's smaller because people aren't as incentivized to construct new housing. There's less supply and more demand, which is is going to drive up the the prices. And then there's a, it it gets more complex than that. Um, but I ain't going to get into all that for the purpose of, of the convo. But I think, um, It is a good thing. And I think as opposed with with gentrification, sometimes I think the biggest thing is we have to look at what happens with the displacement of the people. You know, some I think gentrification is a good thing in the sense of making the city newer, getting newer buildings, so forth and so on. So, you know, reconstructing new housing and still allocating a certain percentage of it to Section 8 housing or so forth and so on. So you're creating a better the city looks better from a physical standpoint, mm-hmm. but you're not displacing the people like that. And Shaq, I heard him talk about it in an interview uh a couple of weeks ago and he was saying that he's he's getting into the gentrification part of things. So I do think it's a good thing, you know, done right. But um I I think I think, you know, sometimes we look at things just like the evils and everything. And I, and I don't know if that's like the greatest picture because you can paint anything to be like the most evil thing in the world.
2: Yeah. It's more to me. It's what is your purpose behind it? Like in the simplest terms of what Pat's saying, like are the, the banks solely doing it to make money? I mean, probably. So like in that case you could say, Oh, gentrification is bad because they don't care about the displacement. They don't care about what happens to the people that live there. But on the business side of things for them, then it raises the property value and it raises the value of all the other homes around it. And it makes the people that already live in the next neighborhood over that doesn't, have all the poverty, doesn't have all the Section 8 housing, like the ones that are already living in the the houses that have been rebuilt in the next neighborhood. Now their prices go up because, oh, it's a safer community, you know, so then it raises wealth for the wealthy that already are living in those houses that can afford the better neighborhoods. But then when you go back to the purpose behind it, and I like that point that Pat says, like, like Shaq getting in into it, like he's doing it. He's a guy who didn't come from a lot. Like I'm pretty sure he came from Louisiana. I know he went to LSU or something, but um, he's he's used to seeing it and seeing and in my my opinion and my assumption and ideas that if you make it so that there are no more section eight housing, like the displacement of people is going to bring down the prices because everybody has the same thing at some point like what is a giant house and what is more expensive now has to have five beds and like four baths opposed to the common three bed two bath house like that's kind of like the 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 average house Size, So if they're all section eight housing is now three bed, two bath, then that brings the price down to that. So it can harm the people that do own homes at that, that size, but then it also gives them the opportunity to sell what they have and go get something bigger. And so it it's kind of, I don't know, it's like inflation in general is it's always up and down, up and down. Yeah. But my opinion on it is it's the purpose behind why you're doing it. And that's a, that's the only opinion and your purpose could change at any moment. So You can't really like there's lots of holes to punch in that.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with Pat. I'm all for a free, a free market. Like, I I, honestly, I think that's what makes America so great, because although capitalism, it sounds bad in the grand scheme of things. But at the same time, capitalism has done more for society than a government government control society. Like you think about let's let's just say, for example, Amazon, right, for example, right, billion, billion dollar industry. And you would think that uh, Jeff Bezos is an evil dude because he, he he takes most of the money or whatever he, he spends it lives a lavish lifestyle. But at the same time, you think about all the jobs he's created, all the new yep. inventions he's created, the access. Like the government isn't doing that. Like what, what? Since when does the when when has the White House ever announced new technology that they're making for the people? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like all they care about is votes, taxes, and like you know you know. Which we need. yeah exactly controlling things roads yeah like all right that's cool but like the person who even invented roads capitalistic society you now you know selling that mm-hmm. off you know what I'm mean? saying so I'm all I for think the,
2: I think the ahead. reality is that uh this world is like a eater be eaten world yeah and if you're winning because you're the one doing it like you can't fault the person for going and winning, and so that's why I think it's not bad because Shaq sure. earned his money how he he saw fit and how he could, and so now he's at the he has the opportunity to go and to make more houses. Like I'm saying, I want to buy him more houses. I want to do it. He's just doing that at a bigger scale. Like there's there's no fault in that for me.
1: Mm-hmm. One right. thing I, thought, and I think sometimes. Oh, what was you gonna say, y'all? Oh, you got a pet. Uh, I was going to say, I think sometimes, um, as people, we look at, uh, we look at the intentions of things as opposed to the results of the results of what it creates. So like sometimes, you know, things at a round table and in theory may sound like better than how they actually are in practice. And I think, uh, oftentimes like we're a lot of, we're, we're fooled by it. Cause I, I'm a bit like, y'all know, I, I study like a lot of economics and I'm a fan of like free markets, but like, You know, somebody may say, uh, well, actually, no, I don't don't think I want to get into this on, on, on a public conversation. But I think as people, we should study the results that things create as opposed to the intentions of what they're supposed to create. And like the example I gave earlier was affordable housing. There was a lot of policies that had great intentions. But we have to evaluate them on the results that they create as opposed to the intentions that they were created with, because no matter how good the intentions were, the results are what we live with. And I think we should just so apply like that saying, thing.
2: like on the uh, like the purpose, how I'm saying the purpose, like it doesn't really matter the purpose of what the person of why the person is doing it. It's just the results of why of what happens if the person does that act.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Which, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, it, it it's hard, and, and obviously, like, somebody could go blo- turn that into an extreme example and say, like, oh, like, you don't care if people do this or do that. And it's like, that's not what I'm saying, but we have to just evaluate the outcomes that are created, and if the outcomes align with what we're trying to create as a society, then, you know, let's adopt it, and if they don't, then let's not adopt it, and then also we have to evaluate the trade-offs between two different things, because a lot of times we treat things as if there's a solution and I don't think there's ever any solutions. There's only trade-offs. So if you look at, if you want to create a country, you look at economic systems and structures, you can say a free market and the pros and cons and the trade-offs of it as opposed to socialism or Marxism or communism or, and whatever it is that aligns with what you want to create, you know, adopt that. And I think sometimes we can say, for example, if I'm in a, in a communist society, like I can say, I hate this or whatever, but it's like, okay, if this is better trade-offs for us than something else, then, you know, it it is what it is. And that's not me endorsing communism, but using the example of the, of the U S if we say we hate a free market and we hate this, you have to evaluate what are the trade-offs. So let's look Mm -hmm. at how things look under socialism or Marxism and let's study the history of it and what it's created. And if we think, the, the history of it is aligns with what we want to do then adopt it. But I think we should just look at the trade-offs as opposed to just saying, Oh, this is so evil. This is so bad. We should just evaluate. We should, we should just live in. And that's and, what cancel culture it.
2: is right now. Like it's, it's like, Oh, I don't like how something makes me feel like it's a lot of emotions, like a lot of canceled cultures. I don't like that. So like I don't support it and I'm close-minded to it. And I feel like, we're called to be the opposite in a lot of ways. Like you, like a, even right now, you just basically went against what I said on the purpose of it. But I'm like, honestly, that makes sense. Like my open mind isn't, man. You trying to fight me? It's not What you're saying actually that does make sense because emotions don't create results. Like results create results, and so right. what happens is it, it's something that's tangible that you could see. And so the purpose is not tangible, and so like, I guess emotionally, you could say the purpose matters, but then like tangibly in, in life and actually seeing how things and, and results, how things actually happen, you, you can actually see those. And so and that's why I don't
1: really like the cancel culture of things and how that works. Yeah, man, that's why uh, I tread softly whenever I, I talk about <laughs> <Right>. stuff. <man>. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> I was talking to somebody about that this week. And I'm not a fan of the cancel culture thing either. Like you did something 60 years ago and now you're not allowed to step foot outside because of whatever, what, 10 years ago. But, you know, people always, well, I'm not going to say always, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of playing devil's advocate. Like I remember in, I think it was like 10th grade. Tenth or eleventh grade, it was sometime in high school, bro. It was when Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were running for president, and I remember at the time the teacher, you know, it, it was a debate, like it was a it was an exercise in the class. Most of the class wanted to go for Hillary, and I was like, forget it. Like I'll go for I'll go for uh, Mr. Trump, and for me, like I'm a person I love to see both sides, like whether I'm right or wrong, or or whether. Or you know, one makes sense more than the other. Like, let's just talk about it, you know, and I feel like nowadays, especially on social media, people get people feel a certain way. And then they they're just like either you agree with me or you're attacking me and there is no constructive conversation going on. Like you can't yeah. you, like you Trump can't isn't have,
2: even allowed on uh, social yeah. media anymore.
0: <laughs> I was like, like damn what?
2: he's just a person like
0: <laughs> like bro since when since when are we so far gone that we can't at least hear each other out you right, know right
1: like and i think what we we have to be like very very careful of is like ideological conformity on both sides because like you increase mm-hmm. polarization um whenever you say it's like either you agree with me or like you're you're attacking me, or you're All anti right. this, or you're phobic this, or whatever the case. And I think we just have to be very, very careful of uh, creating ideological conformity. And I think, like I said, we just have to evaluate things as like as, as trade offs. Like if if you want to say because you know somebody doesn't respect or supports this, that they're anti this or whatever the case is. Like, if you think that that's better for society in the sense of, like, it being polarized and extreme opposites and, like, you know, go with it. But I think we just have to evaluate things deeper than what we do. And we have to be more intentional with that, because I don't think we 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 understand some of the monsters that we're creating in, in our society by the way we've we're grown to do things socially and emotionally and so forth, um, even. I don't know. I I can even with like,
2: like the simplest term of that is like labeling, like people just, we just label and you either stick to it or completely against that label. And we just don't hear each other out. Like Jay Hall saying, like Pat saying, like once people get focused and once people get stuck on whatever it is that they've proclaimed to believe or whatever it is they proclaimed is right. They're too wrapped up in it to even hear the other side and, potentially change their own views on
0: things. Yeah. Right. Like one thing for example, like Pat was talking about. I said, people are afraid to be wrong. Oh, my bad. I thought my mic was messed up, but no, no, you're right. Like everybody wants to be wrong or be right, but it's like on, on one hand, like Pat, when you said, look at the results rather than the intentions, right? Well, for example, we, we were talking about gentrification, Right. And for those people who aren't for gentrification, right? So let's let's look at the opposite of that. Like your your city doesn't, your city stays in the old, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, it's not renovated. Um, but people have houses. But people have houses, yes. Affordable houses. Oh, um, affordable housing. Um, everything stays the same, which naturally doesn't happen. Um, or let's just say another perspective, right? Let's relocate these people. Let's make more affordable housing, right? Okay, so that's um, leaning to, towards, what is it, what's the opposite of democracy? Well, not the opposite of democracy, but like when everybody has the same thing, was it like socialism? Socialism. Socialism. Yes. Okay. Socialism practices make for higher taxes. Mm-hmm. You know, like somebody has to pay for all this Section 8. Like if you want to take care of them, then the the rest of us have to take care of them. Are we for higher taxes? Do you want less money? That you can go use in a market in a market that naturally rises over time due to inflation and all types of other stuff. You know, it's like looking at both sides of things. And, you know, I feel like uh like for example, like we could get canceled just by saying like justification is good, you know?
2: Yeah. But
1: I've I <laughs> hey. also seen on the uh,
2: <laughs> affordable housing side, like very common right now. Uh or I don't know if it's very common, but I've seen
0: the tiny homes? The
2: housing, like the townhomes, yeah. The, the yeah. black uh like black owned townhomes that everybody's trying to do in their own uh neighborhoods and their own origins. I think that's just a cool thing that's happening. But it takes somebody with money to build those homes. And it's right. it's the same thing. And it's affordable because they're townhomes which are not as desirable in the market, but I mean, somebody's somebody's bringing in that money somewhere. And so, like, the point of taxes with socialism, I mean, makes sense to me. That's, yeah, I'm not stating my view. I'm just saying both sides.
1: But I, I think we also <laughs> have to understand, um, like, the short the short, and, like, long-term goals of things. And, like, we also have to understand, like, economically what, what things will produce. So, mm-hmm. like, from a price standpoint, you're at a price equilibrium when mm-hmm. supply and demand intersect. So whenever one is out of the balance, whenever there's more supply than there's demand, then prices are going to be lower as opposed to if there's lower supply than if there's if there's uh more demand than there is supply. So yeah. whenever we think about things like uh like plans for things and intentions or or whatever the case is, if we want something to be affordable, it has to be there has to be more competition and more supply of it. Yeah. And I think so so and there's byproducts of 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 what things are like in capitalism for example we have a lot of a lot of affordable food right now you know we have supply global supply and issues, you see eggs uh, chain going issues up. and inflation yeah, and that's what I was thinking, yeah. but generally though in in capitalism you know we have affordable food um you cuz you have a number of grocery stores, you have a number of suppliers and so forth. Now, a byproduct of that is like we do have more genetically modified foods, foods with processed process things in them. So they got to have so their more.
2: come up, whether it's, oh, this food will last longer in the fridge or, oh, this food will uh, mm. have additives in there that get, make you stronger, make you bigger, make you faster, whatever.
1: Right. And I think like we we, we have to evaluate things as uh, the trade-offs that is created. It's like, Capitalism, yeah, it's good that we have an abundant supply of food for the most part um, and we have access to it. But a thing that you may not like is we have more genetically modified food, so forth and so on. You um, take.
0: Yeah, and, and it's like, it. w-
1: yeah, we can't look at things as if there's like a perfect solution. But why I bring up that conversation whenever it comes to housing, I think like we have to increase more housing and we have to increase the supply of housing to make things more affordable to, for things to balance. Um, and- and that looks a number of different ways, but we have to incentivize competition in the real estate market, competition with new development, so forth and so on, to drive prices down on housing. Now, if you have monopolies or whatever the case is, then you have less control over those markets and so forth and so on. But we need more competition, more construction, more building to lower the the, the, uh, the price of housing. And that's just using putting into economically how you would evaluate things in a classroom now if you don't agree with that then <laughs> and know, there I think we have, to, we have hey, to look at economics
2: because there's everybody everybody's affected to whatever they think is so like you want more affordable housing people want to uh conserve uh land too yeah. so like you might want to build on somebody's land and they're like no i want to keep that is uh, the way it is and so everybody's affected in different ways everybody has their opinions and they'll never come to a complete agreement but I think the the main point is that you have to be able to weigh those options and choose for the larger in capitalism, like what's the greater good. And so that's where it can be tricky because everybody has their own individual opinions and everybody has their own, uh, th- their own ways that they are affected. But for the people at the top that are making those decisions, the people that have the money to go buy ha- homes, it's like for them, which they're going to think in their individual opinion as well. Let me go get my money. Let me go own these houses. Let me go make this place look better because that's what I want. And really that's when it comes back to the people with the money and have the power and people that don't are just
1: kind of riding on their coattails trying to figure it out. And I think we, we got to realize as well, like, a free market is complex complex because in the U S we have like 330 million people. Mm-hmm. So like in the market, you have 330 million people mm-hmm. operating as decision makers. Now, obviously not all 330 million are like actively buying maybe this particular industry sector, whatever the case is. But if we think something is overpriced, not affordable, whatever the case is, and we don't buy it, business owners then have to choose to, to change their, their business plan. Yeah. So it's like, if I offer a luxury good and I know, okay, these group of people won't buy, then like, okay, yeah, then I, I can keep on operating. But if I want to make something that is able to sell to society at large, it has to be affordable by society at large. Mm-hmm. And if the people in the market don't buy it, then you'll go out of business. So I think like, uh, you know, we we are decision makers in the market now that obviously there are like luxury goods and and all the all the different goods that you could name necessities, whatever the case is. But like we are decision makers um, in the market. And I think we have to remember that because housing prices have fallen for 11 straight months. Mm -hmm. So what that says is the people in the market do not value the prices at the homes that they're currently listed for sale Mm -hmm. and they've fallen 11 straight months. And I think they'll continue to fall until they, they reach a point where people That's in the market think it's a reasonable price to buy it.
0: Yeah. Look at that. The beauty of America. Look, we have to, and then once people yeah, we start buying it, it,
2: it then, we, then the price is going to continue to go up. And then it just flips. Yeah.
0: So Supply yeah. and demand.
2: <laughs> it's just going to continue to go back
0: and forth. That, that should be the title of the episode, Supply and Demand.
1: <laughs> do that. Well, I, right I think right now, like right now, we the stuff is like very, very different. And it's not like how things often are, how things happen normally because you have global supply chain issues, you have shortages yeah. of goods. Yeah. You're, we're battling like a lot of different things. So there's like a lot more volatility than, um, than normal. And then also we have to look at the impacts of the policies that we laid out in COVID and how those impact things, interest rates. So I I don't think it's normal right now. Yeah. Honestly, bro, like I'm going to say this. I don't think we'll
0: ever get back. I don't think there's like a a, a quote unquote normal. Like I think this is just life moving forward because I look at the markets every single
2: it are going to be successful. Yeah. Those that can't. Won't
0: be, yeah, yeah. Like I, I look at the markets every single day, bro. And you, you think that like, oh, like when things go back to this, then things will be this, or when things do that, then things will be this. Honestly, bro, there, there's never a perfect time. Like it's either just now, right, or
2: just now. you'll like, never know whether that's a good time or not until yeah. five years, ten years later.
0: Like, yeah, like when I when I'm trading, right, every day, like. You, you you hear guys say that, oh, like the markets, like I I call people and I say, hey, like, what do you think of my idea? Like, I want to do this. And they say, well, 20 years ago, you used to be able to do that or t- whatever. And or 10 years ago used to be even 2008 when you had that housing crash or whatever. And I'm like, well, that doesn't help me now. Like, in, in my mind, I'm like, now is the best time because it's the time that I'm it's going now. It's the only now. time that's guaranteed as well. yeah So I don't know. I'm all for I'm all for development. I'm all for the future and and that. Maybe we'll look back 20 years from now and be like, dang, I probably wish I would have bought a house then. Right. Then Mm. I did. Hey, (laughs) hey, look, look, there you go. See Kelly. Hey, before we wrap up though, like, y'all, my beard coming in. Hey. (laughs) Like, I'm proud. Yeah, it's good. Last time we were on, it was looking looking rough. Yeah, y'all see, y'all know, see, K State and crispy. <laughs> man, I need to get a child. Pat, your beard's always. I, I don't need. Yeah. I never Splinter hair over head. there, man. He the black I master know, Splinter.
1: Man, I know. I, I maybe maybe I should just cut it off. Nah, nah just, you don't need to do that. Don't might do like, trim it, but
0: <laughs> trust me, <laughs> I did that, man.
1: that ain't it. Yeah, that wasn't.
0: The goal. That ain't it. Yeah, yeah, bro. Women start calling you a baby, and you you just. Like, why are you why are you degrading me? <laughs> like, <laughs> bro, something must be something must be going on. Both my parents done calling me some past five minutes.
1: Well, let's wrap this thing up then.
0: Hey, hey man. Hey, paper. man I think,
1: uh, uh my fault. I think I, what I was just gonna say at the end, all of us as people, we need to have more constructive conversations like this. Disagree, agree, agree to disagree, yeah. get more educated, hear more viewpoints
2: don't have to Hello. always make a decision and right then and there either like yeah you getting you can research you can have a couple conversations before you say yeah i think this is what is the best you don't ever make decisions like that when it comes to money and things like that so be be open minded
0: that's what i say people over paper episode 4
2: so we here though black history month opm baby
0: <laughs> OPM Black History Month we're <laughs> out <laughs> <laughs>